You are a father and that is what God names you. And you have the ability to be just like him. You don't have to be a fixer. You might just be a mender. You don't have to be a fixer. You might just be a healer. You don't have to be a fixer. You can be a provider and a teacher and a protector. And sometimes, many times, that is exactly what children need. They need you present so that they can understand the presence of a God that fathers us all. Welcome back, friends, to the Aching Joy podcast. I am your host, author, and pastor, Jason Haig. My guest this week is one of the most interesting men I've ever met. His name is Jarrell Roach. He's a 20-year veteran of the United States Air Force. He's a pastor. He's a stand-up comedian. He's a public speaker. And he works with a ministry called Youth for Christ. Uh, he's done so many things, and he, he actually is going to expand on that list in this interview. He's done so many things, he sometimes refers to himself as the Black Forest Gump. Uh, but most people who have heard his stand-up routine or have watched his YouTube videos know him as Mr. Hilarious Hope. And you'll see why. Uh, he, the man just exudes hope. So I wanted to have Jarrell on both to talk about his experience as an autism dad and also to get his perspective as an African-American minister uh, on this heavy and troubling season of racial tension that, that we find ourselves in in the U.S. Uh, Jarrell is a passionate communicator, as you'll see, and I really think you're going to enjoy listening to him. So here he is, uh, my new friend, Jarrell Roach. Well, Jarrell, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, man. It is a pleasure being here with Aiken Joy, being here with you, Jason. Yeah, man. Uh, we, we met on a panel, on a dad's panel a couple of months ago uh, with a ministry because we're both autism dads. And I thought, I got to bring this guy on because uh, like just even right now, you're wearing the shirt that says always uplifting. And yes, I, I, I started reading up on you a little bit while we're in that panel. And I noticed you're, you're a stand-up comedian. Um, you, you are, you're in the Air Force or have been in the Air Force. You serve two tours, mm -hmm. right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you're, you're in a ministry called Youth for Christ. All of these yeah. things, I thought this is one of the most interesting bios I think I've ever read. Um, but in the middle of that, you, you have this, uh, this spirit about you that, that just brings hope. In fact, that, that's, that's what you call yourself, Mr. Hilarious Hope. So tell, can you tell us a little bit how, how, yes, this, how this whole thing developed in your life? Man, glad to. I'd say, uh, hands down, all by the, the hand and the love of Jesus, man. Hands down. Um, I realized I was lost without him, and there's so much I discovered with him. The idea of Mr. Hilarious Hope, that came about, that was a street name I earned, which is kind of cool, man. You know, and so, like, I'm no OG, no gang banging, no thug. I mean, my nickname is Buddy. I wouldn't, it wouldn't have made a good thug with the nickname Buddy. I mean, you don't, you don't jump people in with a nickname Buddy. You, you, <laughs> You uh, complete community service with a nickname, buddy. That's what you do. And so, and so, uh, Mr. Hilarious Hope was coined by a group of friends that I worked with. Uh, I brought a comedy troupe together that uh, had its ambition that we were going to do more than comedy was the thing. And we were going to show people life uh, by doing life and then coming back and telling our story through comedy. I've always wanted to serve people and I found different ways of doing it. Uh, I, I get to retire from the military in about two and a half years. I said, the only thing I've ever done 20 years plus is be black and handsome. At least my mom said. <laughs> and so like, we'll, we'll see, we'll see, you know, and, uh, how that works out. Uh, Come on. Tell me a little bit uh, about your family. Oh man. Gladly. Um, I have a, I have this amazing queen. Her name is Kenesha or hot mama 
or a chocolate mama. And uh, we've been married for 11 years, man. And she's a PK. She's, she has been amazing in God's kingdom. Uh, she is a military wife, a special needs mama. She is an entrepreneurial nonprofit queen. And she has done so much in her lifetime. Happily married to her. Our son, John, is 18. He just started his freshman year in college. Don't judge. We've only been married 11 years. And uh, he started his freshman year in college, which is amazing. He moved out, and uh, he's come to the house every day. I call him Theo Huxtable. And uh, he's an amazing <laughs> kid. He and I met when he was four. And uh, my daughter, Caria, is 10. She's soon to turn 11, and autism causes her to ask when her birthday is every day. Hmm. And so for as far as I'm concerned, it hasn't changed. It's uh Veterans mm-hmm. Day, 11-11. So she's got a golden birthday this year. She is an amazing queen. The first girl out of uh, all the grandbabies that were there. She was the first granddaughter out of many grandba- grandsons. And then our son, Jeremiah, who is nine years old. Uh, he is absolutely amazing. They were born 13 uh, months apart. He is my first biological son. We named him after my dad, which is a whole healing process in itself, which is amazing. And then our daughter, Carly. Rose Lucille, who we named after our grandma. All of our kids have our name somewhere in them. Grandparents' name, parents' name, our name. Carly Rose Lucille was born June 8th while I was deployed at my last deployment. Uh, she was so cute, man. I said they should have gave her stock in Skype. And, uh, man, she's adorable. And she is five. That's my family. That's the Rhodes crew, man. Right. And uh, I just couldn't imagine I would have a family like that one day. I knew I always wanted to be a dad, and I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I just didn't know how it would come. And uh, God graced me with a, a wonderful marriage and, and a wonderful, wonderful family, man. You, uh, you have two, two kids on the spectrum. Is that right? Yes. Whiz and bang. The ones in the middle. We call them whiz and bang because that's what you hear around the house. Whiz and bang. bang. Whoa. Whoa. And uh, yeah, they're 13 months apart, man. They're Irish twins, but they're black. So you can't call them Irish. And so, uh, <laughs> and uh, black Irish coffee, I heard. It's something like that. So maybe. And uh um, they are, both of them are autistic and, uh, just absolutely beautiful. They challenge us in areas of parenting, um, because they make, they make you rely on prayer life and they make right. you rely on not the way you were raised, but how you can best raise them. Yeah. And, uh, that's one of the greatest privileges having a child with a, a need that is much larger than what you've been used to. Yeah. yeah. Now it did, were they diagnosed around the same time? You know, our son was diagnosed earlier his his uh symptoms were a little bit more evident and i worked in the area of special needs i've done a lot of things man i feel like i know black forest gump, black forest gump. <laughs> and so i've always had like three jobs i'm like i started working when i was like three i mean come on man and so i've always just had that i just it, it came out of service to people right so um we got him diagnosed a little early because we could see the symptoms there's things i knew i was kind of we were kind of in this form of like denial but at the right. same time, we were like, wow, you work with special needs kids for so long. And then all of a sudden, it's your child. What do you, what do, you do about that? Mm-hmm. So we were, we were a little lost for a little bit in that. Not lost to no avail, but just what do we do, you know? Yeah. And then our daughter, Caria, got diagnosed much later. Um, and that was part of just going, wow, we thank her too. But we kind of have our straps a little tighter now. So as parents, we're going to parent her. But having that official uh, diagnosis was what we needed. So we stepped into it a little later in the game. So don't judge us. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I was actually thinking, uh, you, you know, even what you just said, sometimes when you get the diagnosis, it's what you need. 
Um, yeah. But yeah. I don't know if you were like me when, you know, when my son was diagnosed, it was like, I knew we already knew, but when it hit, like, it's like, okay, at least we know what we're dealing with, but wow, this is a hard yeah. thing and this is going to yeah. be hard. So yeah. when you say it took you a while to adjust, what was yeah. that period like? Let me tell you something, man. I'm telling you, your honesty helps. Uh, so I worked in a group home. I worked my first job, my first professional job working with youth. I was a transportation paraeducator. So I would get on the bus. I would leave school. Uh, my senior year, I was 17. I would go hop on the, the small bus. And my buddies would laugh at me and make fun of me and make uh, noises that were really inappropriate. I didn't understand it then. I'd kind of giggle and walk away. Uh, it was kind of another funny thing was, uh, what, 10th grade year, I was sitting in reading class and I was sitting between two brothers that had Down syndrome and some other, I, some other, some other needs. And I didn't realize the curve I was on, the needs I had mm -hmm. and how behind I was. And I made some choices to really build some disciplines in my world that would help me kind of adjust and come up in skill level. But I had this, it was just like this weird stigma. I would get on the bus. I would go see these beautiful kids. We'd walk them out to the bus, chair, lift them up, chair, lift them down, send them home. They were amazing. And I worked in a group home and I worked at a school. So almost 10 years working in the special needs community, in addition to having it in my family indirectly. And then all of a sudden our child had it. And so the denial was there in some sense, but it was also this feeling of embarrassment. And I don't know why mm. this fear of my son's going to be made fun of mm. this fear of, Oh shoot. All that judgment I had against those parents of how they treated their kids. Wow. What if I fail like they do, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and, and prejudgment, not that I even knew the parents I had judgment like, Oh, why do these parents have their kids in group homes and all that kind of just keeping it honest. Right. Yeah. And they're just getting rid of their kids and they're blowing off their kids. Well, I don't believe that. The more I got to understand those parents, the more I got to realize they were giving their kids a, a, an independent life. Right. And they were entrusting us with a whole lot. And I was just so ungrateful of that experience. I didn't understand. I loved them, but I was un, ungrateful. And so I ran through that in my head. Hmm. That was that. That was, it was all of that. So there was so much we wrestled with. We had these ideas of how our children would be. We, we had a daughter that was 13 months older than our son that was having these, these, these fits and these explosions that we would see. And we would be like, oh, that's going to grow out of it. But she didn't. So we were in this phase where we had this very obedient older son, obedient, well-mannered, conforming child. And then we had two back-to-back -back that really just threw us for a loop. And so as parents, we got boxed in. We allowed ourselves to get boxed in. You know, we allowed that, uh, that zone defense to rock us a little bit. And, uh, and we had no answers, and that rocked us because from our childhood, it wasn't supposed to be that way. It wasn't, mm -hmm. those were not the grandchildren that, you know, that our parents were going to be used to. And, you know, it was so many of those things. I know that's yeah. a long answer, but if I just share with you my internal process, that was really part of that, that aching part in us is the disappointment. Like, one, we're not going to be able to do it. Two, like, they're, they're not what we dreamed. And Lord knows there's so much to say about that. And then Three, like, are our kids going to get treated the way that we've seen kids in the special needs community get treated? Mm -hmm. Can we hide them and protect them? Mm -hmm. Woo, so much there. So yeah. much there, Jake. Wow. How, how, did yeah. you, how, did you, how did you work through some of that? Yeah, opening up, talking about it, and letting go of things that we thought we had control of. Mm. And so, like, bringing therapists into our home. 
that yeah. was that was a big step for us. We were holding our breath like, <clears throat> okay, we're just gonna wait and let them tell us what's wrong with our kid because we know something's not right. And so when we started inviting people in to give back to the kid, mm-hmm. what we felt was being hindered, you know, um, whether it's a block from the brain to the central nervous system, we brought people in to help recreate, re- recreate bridges for our kids. So that's how we did it. A lot of prayer, mm-hmm. a lot of letting go, a lot of uh, not caring what people would think, a lot of not caring what we thought. Man, yeah. we just had to really humble ourselves and go, this is the this is the winner, out yeah. of all the millions of out of all the millions of opportunities that came out of dad, <clears throat> you know, talking science, you know, like yeah. out of all the millions of they were the winners, they're the champions, G. They were born champions. Mm-hmm. We had to go. Well, let's help them win. This is a partnership called family, and let's bring them into the best variables that we possibly can. And when we got over ourselves, then I think, man, parenting really started beginning. Hmm. I, yeah. I like that. I like that phrase getting over ourselves because yep. I, I, one of the things I, I, you know, in the special needs community, there's all kinds of points of view. And sometimes there's a lot of friction with those who, yeah. would, who would even bring therapists in or try to help uh, for themselves to say, yeah. uh, you know, I right now am dealing with all kinds of emotions in myself because of my expectations, because of my yeah. fears or whatever. Um, yeah. But people end up feeling so guilty about that thing, I think I see them get stuck. Like I, I, I'm, I am so uh, uh, caught in this negativity. Uh, I don't, I don't know what to do. Cause I know I shouldn't feel that. Um, right. So they end up. Yeah. And, and then others in the community are like, well, you should be happy. You should be thankful or these things. But I feel like you've, you've got to be able to open up about what those things are in order to work through them. Like you can't just flip a switch and go, okay, now I'm going to be happy. Like you have to be able to work through that and letting go of ourselves and having enough humility to say, all right, I'm dealing with some ugly things in my own heart here. I want, I want to get, I want to get past this. Um, So like here I see you and you're, you know, so optimistic and so uplifting in the way that you communicate, but I don't, I don't think you just flipped a switch. You had to go through a process there. Yeah. 100%, 100, 100%. And here's, here's what it was, Jason. It was realizing how much God went through with me. Hmm. And as hard as it was, I I can't say it was hard for God, right? It, It wasn't hard for God, but I know that I was difficult, man. Difficult. Right. Not only when I was unsaved, but being saved, I know I was difficult as a child to my parent. And I can only imagine that if God thought the way we did, he would have several disappointments about about me. He would have like, son, this is not your plan. This is not how I this is not how I purpose it. This is not how I seen it. You're doing something that I have not have not purpose for you, that I have not you know, I haven't set this in potential for you. And like Wow. And that meant that right there. What? Are you kidding me? Hmm. That rocked my light. And that's part of that process and realizing I wanted to be a father my whole life. And man, all of a sudden, I don't know what to do. And I had a, I had a wife that had a whole set of emotions and how do I, how do I parent to that? And then watching other people try to tend to my kids. And I'm just like, Oh, big protector daddy coming out. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There were so many variables I had to walk through and let go of while replugging into the right kind of variables for our child's life. And so much of it was me. It was so much of it was me. I didn't understand how to be fathered. Mm. And I realized I didn't understand how to father. 
special needs aside, I didn't understand how to father in that moment. And then with other factors that came in, I had to go, well, what, what about that? Mm, yeah. And God is such a great father, man. And that changed my world, Jason. One of the, one of, one of my favorite things to preach on, this is my book as well, is, is when Moses comes and is given this, yeah. this impossible task, right? And he comes to God and, or, you know, they're at the burning bush and he says, who am I to go stand before Pharaoh and do all these things? And I feel like, I feel like nowadays, it, it, you know, if this happened, uh, like, you know, in a modern movie, you would expect God to be like, Moses, man, you can do this and give him like a, an inspirational pep talk, you know, like the actor Owen Wilson, you know, it'd be like, come on, Moses, you were made for this, you know, it'd be like, like something like that. But he's you not what he said, this, you got yeah. this. It's not what he said. What he said is, Moses, I will be with you. It's hmm. almost like, oh, oh, you thought you were doing this alone? Oh, no, don't be ridiculous. This is way too big for you. You are Ooh. absolutely in over your head. The point is, I am doing this with you. Like, no, you can't do you can't do this by yourself. Don't be silly. I feel like you and I, special needs parents, are in the same boat. Oh, of course you can't do this alone. Yes. You're raising a whole nother person. Yeah. Man, and that's that that's the thing, man. When I went, okay, so. I've underestimated God, the fatherhood of God so long. I knew him as God, sovereign, king, Lord, but father, holy, I just feel his presence right now. That changed it right there, man. Mm. That changed it. And I mean, for anybody that hears it, I mean, that, that is the underestimated factor right there. And then here, here's what made the, the, this was a game changer for me along the way too. The only species out of the millions of species he's created in all systems, man, in all kingdoms, you know, plant, animals, uh, cosmos, all of those, you know, bacteria, whatever. The only species he's ever, ever, ever named after himself, Jason, is you and I. He named us father. See, what makes us daddies mm. is having them babies. What makes us father is, is your anatomy and your purpose. And he has something very special there. And he, he would encourage me that, son, I named you father. You're made to be just like me. And look, this is the way I embrace you in this moment. This is the way I embrace you when you didn't even know what was going on in life, coming mm. in and going out of your own life. But this is the way I loved you. Remember all those people I sent around you? Remember those mentors I brought to your life? You remember when your mom used to bring you in front of all these dudes, not all these, but she'd introduce you to different dudes and be like, hey, can you mentor my son? And I'd feel like, mom, what are you doing this for? You know, because I thought she was pushing me off. But what she was doing, she was building bridges to my purpose and my potential. And because my daddy wasn't there, she was still taking on the roles of a father that's why she was my greatest disciple maker. That's why I know I know Jesus because I watched my mom live like him. And man, the fatherhood, the idea of the fatherhood, Jason, we have so much potential inside of us. And that's what God was teaching me. Son, I named you after myself. Mm. You specifically, I called you a father. Mm. And boy, Jason, oh, when I got that piece at a time, I was just like, I just want to be just like him. I just want to father my son just like him. I just want to, I just want to give him every good gift I can. I just, all of a sudden, everything else start going away. You just start looking at them from their potential. And that's it. You, 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 I'm sure have seen the same statistics of uh, when there's a diagnosis, a lot of times in a family, um, yeah. particularly, particularly with autism, um, very, it, it's not at all uncommon for a dad to leave. And just as you're talking, I'm like, can you just address dads out there who maybe yeah. have just gotten a diagnosis and are scared and want to leave? 
fathers, I just want to let you know, daddies, you are fathers. You are a father, and that is what God names you. And you have the ability to be just like him. You don't have to be a fixer. You might just be a mender. You don't have to be a fixer. You might just be a healer. You don't have to be a fixer. You can be a provider and a teacher and a protector. And sometimes, many times, that is exactly what children need. They need you present so that they can understand the presence of a God that fathers us all. Present and presence run together. They just, they need to see you. They need you to be involved. They need your hugs. They need your kisses. Let me throw the physicality stuff out of the way when guys are like, I'm not physical. No, no, no. God is physical. Like we are in his hand. The Bible says we are sheep in his hand. His hand leads us and protects us. Although we may not see it, when we get in contact with the true and living father, we will feel it and sense it because his presence is real, more real than us. And when those kids get a chance to see that, you are the bridge to an everlasting father that loves you and has seen you in this generation and has called you to be a father one way or another, whether it was accident on purpose, one way or another. And you had a champion that came from your body. I know it takes a woman to carry a baby nine months, but they don't, they don't arrive unless they have you. You carry nations in your body. You have been designed to give birth to children. You have been designed to be the initiator. And this is the time to stay involved and stay invested, just like God is with us. You got the presence of the Father, and that was him being with us. You got to be present, baby, and you're worth it. He, he gave his son Jesus's life for you to be present, for you to be involved. You're worth it. The greatest value in your life is not in who you are and how you will be. It is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And that Jesus put his life on the line for you, the greatest gift ever given, and you get a chance to give that back. Be present, show up, you are incredible, you are designed to be there, that baby comes from your DNA, and if you are a stepfather, you step in, and you make that, you get that job done, baby, those kids need you, and they need you right now. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's go. We got your back, fellas. Let's go. I fought for you, baby. I went to war for you. Not just for American rights, but for kingdom rights, baby. There are people out there giving their lives that are beyond a flag. It's it's for Jesus. It's for the bloodstained banner. I've given my life for you, fellas. I've put my life on the line for us to serve and show people what it's like for real fathers to serve right here in America. That's real justice. That's real service. That's real law. That's real freedom. Let's let's go. And the world sees a better a better version of that when we show up, fellas. I got your back. Me and Jay, we got your back. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the interview. I want to hit pause real quick to remind you of my book, Aching Joy, Following God Through the Land of Unanswered Prayer. This is a book I wrote, of course, about my own journey with my son as he went into his fog of autism. I went into my own sort of fog as well of sadness and, and, and trying to make sense of my life and trying to reorient my life. Uh, but it's not a book strictly for autism parents. Uh, it's really for anyone who's going through that season of saying, what in the world has happened to my expectations? Life is going to look different now. Uh, and particularly those uh, of those people of faith who say, you know, I've prayed and I, I, I've called out to God for something to change and nothing's changing. What do I do now? So I hope you'll check it out. Uh, achingjoy.com. Uh, you can read more about it there. It it, it did win uh, an award last year. It won the Cascade Award for Best Memoir. And my mom tells me it's it's really good. So anyway, check it out. Now back to the interview. One of the things you, you brought up, and obviously this is in your story, is as a stepdad also yeah. 
yeah. uh, you, you took and and so uh, you know with the blended family and the stepdad yes. for you to step in i think yes. that just absolutely shows the heart of god and what a what a glorious opportunity that that stepfathers and stepmothers have Ooh. to be able to embrace a child as their own absolutely man i love it and i and i, I have no offense against that word step i know that seems sometimes that seems uh uh, what do you want to call it? It seems like the major among the minor, but baby, mm -hmm. it is such a great role. It is you, yeah. literally. It is you. You are the very next step. You are the step up. You mm -hmm. are filling in a void. You are a, taking a responsibility um, that might have been missed or for one reason or another. It's not there. And you live in that role. You live in that role and you own it like a champion. You mm -hmm. own it. Woo! Come on, man. What a great opportunity. Boy, best opportunity I've ever had. He was my first, I tell him all the time, you were my first baby. You're my first son. When we got married, my wife and I, we stood down there at that altar. I didn't only make plans and covenant to her. I paused and I made one for him because that was so imperative mm. that he would see a father that would stay and mm. be present. And that when we got married, it was for keeps me and mama and you're involved. And this day, not just about me and her, it's about all of us being a family, man. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Good. That's so good. Well, in, in all of these things, um, you know, it, it's easy for somebody um, on the outside to to see a joyful Christian and yes, assume sir. they haven't gone through stuff and assume, yes. OK, well, you know, it, that's easy for you to say, but I'm actually dealing with real stuff. Um, yes, sir. But you haven't had like, you know, you, you haven't had like an easy life. Like you, nope. you've gone through these different things. And I feel like sometimes... Yeah. Uh, uh, we do a disservice to a joyful person uh, because yes. sometimes joy is hard fought. Uh, yes. And and, uh, and so I, I think of, you know, we're, we're in a very difficult year as a country. Yes. As a nation, it's, it's, it's bleak and, and it's easy to, to feel weighed down by yes. things. And I feel like, yes. I feel like hope and joy are more necessary now than ever, but it can't be a, a, a surface level, everything's fine. Because yeah. sometimes Christians have done that. We've just said, well, you know, I'm, I'm from the South, I'm from East Texas. And so when you go to church and you ask, uh, or they ask you how you're doing as a kid, the only answer is everything's fine. Oh, it's just fine. You know, yeah. even when it's not fine. So we're, right. in, we're in a, we're in an era right now where things are not fine wow a and yet god calls us to have joy and i see you having joy so I, ju in just in looking at where we are right now you know obviously one of the the biggest stories of the year has been uh racial tension and and we're seeing it uh in a you know in a uh man just a a, a very troubling and consuming way more than yes. i feel like i've ever seen uh yes. how how can we uh, bring hope at a time like this. Wow, this see, this is really good. This is really good, Jason Doe, man. Let me, man, my questions have been so loaded. So let me, uh, my answers have been, let me do this in a short way. Um, first and foremost, I believe that our greatest hope is in Jesus, hands down. I don't mean to say it cliche, it's just, when you've been where I've been, you just know it. When he was there with you, when you had none, and when your life was just inches away from you, not, not even on the battlefield. It might have been a battle you lost in your own bedroom, man. You know, and he's, and he's there for you. And you realize he's the one with you when you go to bed. He's the one with you when you get up. He's the one with you in disappointment and, and success. But he, see, he's the one with you in reconciliation. And he's the one with you 
with the protester. He's he's there when the rioting and the burning buildings are happening. He's there with the lynchings. He's there with the the persecution and the discrimination. He's there. He's 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 never he never leaves. And here's the deal. I think that hope in itself is keeping a awareness on the tension of the the past and the present, the past and the present, while excuse me, by the past and the future, while being very alive and aware in the present. So you can look at the because people are talking about this thing, racial racial reconciliation, and you have to go well. Where has it happened? Because where is this continuous reconciliation happening? You have to find it in moments. You have to find it in conversations between Jarrell and Jason. You know where where it's not only the color the the color race, it's the human race. Because we've had this we've had this pretty long reputation at hurting each other and hating each other, right? And not just the color issue. That's one layer of it. Uh, you can talk about the male to female issue. You can talk about the male to male issue. You can talk about war. One of the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life, and some of the greatest lives being saved are enemies, are enemies sitting across the table and deciding on what is real best for their people. Thousands and thousands of lives are saved in conversation as opposed to missiles and bombs. Devastating, devastating what 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 technology can do to a person. So in a day like this, we have to trust and hope. We have to look back to moments that were good and we have to go, that can happen again. We have to look at moments that were sour and go, that can happen again. Mm. And then we have to choose future-wise what we will be responsible for making a difference of because the greatest ability God gave us was responsibility. So Jason, you and I have a great responsibility to be part of making a difference in the future. And we can't do it everywhere, but we can do it all the time. Hmm. that's powerful to remember can't do it everywhere but we can do it all the time and so we are responsible because the the potential is it can get bad or it can get better right and so we have to be part of seeing it be better i have to be willing to spend time with people that don't look like don't look like me don't come from the same place i come from they don't think the same way i come from and some people think well i don't have the time to well that you are most likely going to repeat the same cycles and I got to keep it honest, that's most likely where we will end up is creating the same cycles of what we've been through. We have such a responsibility. People have fought and died both rightfully and in vain for us to have the responsibilities to make reconciliation happen, hmm. not to wait around. See, we got to take this stuff more serious than we do entertainment. We got to take this stuff more serious yeah. than we do the NFL and the NBA team. We got to take this stuff more serious than we do the stuff that just tickles our fancy. The, the, we got to take it more serious than we do gaming and YouTube. See, there are real lives on the line. Mm -hmm. And there are people that have paid great costs. Ruby Bridges, the first student to integrate, to integrate color into schools, an elementary school student escorted to school by the National Guard. She had more, she had more clout in that moment than some royalty had in, in, in lifetimes. Mm. She went to school with a crazy amount of pressure on her. Little kids spit on, throw things thrown at her, assaulted. And man, I'm telling you, this lady suffered post-traumatic stress so that we can have less stress in our life. Mm. Little kid, people have fought and paid great prices for us to step up and have responsibility and not turn a blind eye and not act like this stuff does not matter. I tell everybody all the time, don't be colorblind. Being blind is not helpful. Hmm. See, I said, you be color. I said, I, I, I did this joke one time. I said, everybody close your eyes. They close their eyes and say, see, now everybody black in the room. You better decide on what you want. <laughs> <laughs> you better decide on what you want. You better see us. And that's, hmm. that's it. You have to keep this tension on the past and the 
on the future by being aware of where you're at and saying, I want to see the future shaped. And I want to see it shaped in this way. And is it only good for you? Is it only good for people that look like you, think like you, or is it good for everybody? Is it fair? Does it level the playing ground? Is there real justice? Because real justice is not just coming along and fixing it. Fixing it doesn't always help it. Right. Justice is healing it and making sure that it is whole so that systems don't come up to where it breaks again. Mm. It's, it's, put, it's putting your hand out and picking someone up and deciding that a part of their problem is going to be your problem until you guys can bring a solution to it. It doesn't have to be everything. It just has to be all the time. That's how it works. And what hope does, that tension is building, it, it builds bridges. Because bridges have great tension on them, but it all can move us from one end to another. If you think about it, great tension on a bridge, and they're made to exist that way. The tension goes wrong, right. the bridge collapses. Right. It explodes for some, in some cases, a, a boom, it can, it can literally do it. And so if we think about the tension that we live in, sometimes tension is not too bad. Some people are like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Well, sometimes we need the wrong thing being said so that we can, keep, so that we can move towards the right thing. Because not mm -hmm. everything is said with a pat on the back. It really isn't. Yeah. We know that in marriage, bro. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we know that in parenting. So we need people taking a risk to live with a certain type of tension and say, I have such a responsibility to see the world change that I'm okay with rubbing someone wrong as long as I can get to a place where I can embrace you rightly the next, at the next step. Right. Ooh, that's powerful. I yeah. need to stop right there. But that right there, my man. Hmm. Uh, living in tension. I, I can't remember who said it, uh, but the, I, I heard the quote, something like this, like, the measure of a Christian's maturity is his is is ability to live in tension. Yeah, because I feel like because, so, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I feel like in in so many different areas, we want a very simple answer, and some things yeah. just aren't that simple. And I feel like no. with with this kind of, uh, you know, this kind of issue, you've got all of these very simplistic answers coming in, uh, yeah. on all different sides. And yeah. uh, I I think of how okay, so like in the special needs world, a lot of times people tiptoe around us. They see my son. They see notice very quickly. They don't want to ask, but they want to ask, but they're afraid of stepping on eggshells. And I'm like, man, ask away. Like if, if you have an honest question, dude, it's all right. I'm yeah. not going to shut you down. We're not going to be offended. Ask away. We understand. And I, I kind of feel like yeah, most go ahead. No, and I was going to say you're, you're, you're nailing it right on the head. And that's, so we always try to say, we try to be living examples. People oftentimes say, Jarrell, are you a comedian? I'm like, yeah. Are you a speaker? Yeah. Why don't you post more content on your page? I say, well, I say, it's on there. It's all on there. I just said, but that's not all I am. I said, right. I'm bigger than my gift. And I say, like, words frame worlds, but actions speak louder than words. And so, man, we're spending time in the special needs community, and we wanted to make a difference so much, we created a nonprofit for it. We're spending time in diverse communities so much, we care about it so much, that we are creating, we are creating um, um, moments, pockets, and platforms for it. Because I say, J Jason, the greatest platform you have is your life. Mm. And we got to let people say encore to it. Man, I want more Jason because when Jason shows up, he's trying, he's pushing into stuff. He's let, giving people the opportunity to, to make maybe poor questions and ask about his son, but he's doing it in such a loving way that he, he just created a world where now people can exist together because they know, wow, I can try. Man, if I made a mistake. Jason's not going to kill me over. He's not going to run me over. Right. I love that of it. And now I can embrace him and his son because that's what I wanted anyways. What's just yeah. to embrace him. Right. Ooh, and so that's what we do. We constantly are trying to create pockets in our lifetime because again, Jason, I'm planning my funeral, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, you feel absolutely. Me? Absolutely. And, and I feel like I, so so in, instead of instead of being ready to be offended, um, if we were able to just have more conversations like this, like in, in across all kinds of different across all kinds of different lines, right? But to be yeah, able to say yeah. there there is a human being, they have a different yeah. life experience. And what if I what if I just sought to understand where they're coming from? Just sought wow. to understand. Like that simple thing. Uh, this uh, this to me is the power of story. The power of story to like, I, if I could just, uh, this is why I love fiction. And I encourage people, I encourage pastors to read fiction because so yeah, often yeah. you don't, you don't see, you know, you don't see where another person's coming from, but a, a well-told story that suddenly you can see the hurts, you can see things and you realize, oh man, I had a lot of assumptions that were very, very wrong. So wow. I, I feel like as, especially as believers, we have to seek to understand how can you weep with those who weep if you don't know what they're weeping for, or if you're minimizing their tears. And so yeah. I feel like, you know, for, for, as we've encouraged our congregation, mostly a white church to be able to say, dude, it's time to weep with those who weep. That means let's seek to understand our brothers and sisters who are hurting instead yeah. of trying to come up with some easy political slogan or whatever, even the right hashtag yeah. or whatever. And it's going to mean a whole lot more to get into someone's life and to say, how can we help? Where are you coming from? Jay, you're crushing it, man. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And then on the flip side, we have to ask the same thing because, you know, part of this conversation, I, and just can I let you in on my internal process Please. a little bit, right? Yeah. I'm sitting, okay, so I'm sitting down with a group of, I'm the only black dude in this group. Let me just say it like this. And they're asking questions. And a, a white brother says this. He says, man, you know, I want to I wanna post something, but I really don't know because, you know, I don't want my white friends to think I'm picking on them, but I don't want black folks to think I don't care. And he's like, I don't even know if black oppression is a real thing or what's being exaggerated. And like I got in my heart, man, like there's a fire just building up. And I wanted to go, my brother, what planet have you been on? Mm. But God said, quiet down. Listen to this. Listen to this question he's asking. It's genuine and you need to listen to it. He asks, is it really for real? Help him to understand it's for real. Mm. It, sh should I draw a line in the sand is what he's asking. No. Help him. Mm. Help him. Because you needed the same help, Jarrell. I think if we just look at it for five minutes, we can see it. And I think most people know it. I just think whether we can acknowledge it and admit it, right? And I think for five months, we were all legally grounded to our house on these devices. And then three and over a span of three months, we see these brutal executions in public. And one just hit, it just tipped the scale right. because it was the equivalency of being hung publicly and nobody did nothing about it. And to watch it when you could not do nothing about it, and we all had to watch it. I watched it in my kitchen and I broke down like a baby and I couldn't finish it. I watched it on accident and I broke down like a baby in my kitchen by myself. Uh, and I've seen my share of death and of persecutions and executions because of war. Right. Blew my mind, left me yeah. speechless. Yeah. But I'm telling you, man, we have to look at the spectrums and put ourselves in the sides of both in both sides of shoes and we can't ignore it and we can't walk away from it and we have to realize that people are under pressure uh to perform when we don't have to we have to get back to humanity man we the same species g and when we treat each other like that as opposed to drawing lines to a donkey or elephant and we we we, we rely on the lamb instead right jesus greatest teacher in the world of all time. He mm -hmm. can teach us a little bit about racial injustice. He was growing up in it. 
mm-hmm. for people to ask us, anything good come out of Nazareth was a pretty racist kind of oh, comment. Yeah, sure. It's like, you're kind of ghetto. You're kind of, you're kind of bougie. You're kind of hood. And they were basing that upon his ethnicity. Does anything come good? Does anything come out the, the ghetto? Anything good come out the ghetto where those people are? Where Jason came from? He came out the trailer park. Poor white trash. Does anything? That's what they were saying. Yeah. Man, I mean, so I don't mean to go on and on and on, but Jason, you're doing it to me, man. You provoked it. <laughs> this is the second time we both like tend to jump into in these long oh, things yeah. we talked on the I'm phone sorry, a couple of months ago we did the same thing it's like ah well yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and i think people also i mean you could throw in jesus uh, interactions with samaritans in there as well um why not boom yeah and honestly the uh, half the new testament is is dealing with racial tension between jews and gentiles and it was just yeah. so clear it was such this you know, there's now neither Jew nor Greek. Like it's this separation is not supposed to be here anymore. And it's so clear the way of Jesus and the way of the church that that uh, uh, separation and racism was never, ever acceptable. So it, to on. me, one of the things that grieves me is to see if, if people discuss this now. Uh, yeah. Other people will hear this and go, oh, well, now you're just doing talking points of the political party I don't like. I'm like, what are we talking about? What are we, you're yeah. suddenly like trying to put the gospel into 2020 uh, uh, a box, like in this, this partisan, like everything's about partisanship. I'm like, no, it's about, yeah. what did Jesus do? What's the way of Jesus? What have we been called That's to? It. That's it. It's so sad. Be anxious for nothing, but all things, prayer and th- supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to the Lord. If I, I, I'm sorry if I chopped that up a little bit, but it's the anxiety that we get. So we call it, we make it a conspiracy. We yes. try to house it somewhere. Yes. We make, uh, we become, uh, what do you call it? Not, uh, we've become skeptical to it. Right. Yep. There's another word that I'm thinking about. You know, it's the anxiety. Right. We go, oh, that can't be. I mean, it must just be them. Um, right. You know, right. it must just be them trying to do this, you know. I have, uh, I have one, one last question for you. Um, do it. What is, what, is your, what is your hope for your children who are on the spectrum, who are, who are, who are going to grow up uh, uh, autistic and, and black? What is your hope yeah. for how the world would meet them and, and how they could fit into the world as they grow into adults? I hope that in one way, shape, or form or other, they get a chance to experience Jesus at the greatest level they can in their life. Yeah. And I... I, I, I I know that there is grace for them like God has grace for us, but I hope that they personally, openly get a chance to have that for them and they're able to live that openly with the world oh, by choice. And I hope that my children are postured in a way that they can see themselves contributing to this world around them, consciously owning that and living their very best lives. Hmm. Well, man, uh, thank you so much for doing this. This is wonderful. Yep. I'd love to hear your perspective. And I, I love uh, the infusion of, of hope uh, that I feel when I have conversations with you. Uh, Jason, this has been amazing. And I'm so grateful for our interactions. You're a real deal, man. Thank you. If you want to follow Jarrell or get in touch with him, you can find him on Facebook and Instagram at Jarrell Roach or on YouTube. He's Jay Roach, a.k.a. Mr. Hilarious Hope. You can check out his wonderful new uh, nonprofit initiative on Facebook. It's called Our Gathering Place Omaha, uh, which hosts pop-up community dining experiences for families with children and teens with special needs. It is a phenomenal idea, and it's, it's really catching on. 
And finally, Jarrell loves to spread the hashtag HopeHood. So if you like to post things that inspire hope in your world, you can use that hashtag HopeHood. And we're, we're talking about posts about family, especially kids uh, with special needs. That's, you know, obviously that's, uh, that's front and center right there. So anyway, thanks so much for listening, friends. If you're appreciating these conversations, and I really hope you are, um, I would really appreciate if you would do me a huge favor and leave me a review on iTunes. Believe it or not, that stuff really does help other people discover the show. Yeah, I'd be very grateful. Thanks, everybody. This is the Aching Joy Podcast, and I am Jason Haig.